Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Echelon Cycling Podcast, our long-format podcast where we take a look back at what happened in the week's worth of racing and whatever else around pro cycling. And as always, I'm joined by Audio creator uh, Patrick and uh, as well uh, the Cycling Danes, Mr. Craig himself, Ewan Wilson. And I mean, yeah, the Giro d'Italia has started, guys, and the time trial, we saw that today. And uh, are you feeling a bit demoralized about the GC battle or a bit optimistic that he didn't win it by the two minutes that many people were thinking. I feel like I'm optimistic because, yeah, he literally won by a second today, which, like you're saying, people were like, oh, he's going to win by two minutes easily because he won by so much in the first TT. But yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was promising for the state of a race that Remco didn't have a landslide victory and that actually Ineos are looking pretty competitive and Roglic isn't out of the game either. I think that it's quite an open race going into this last like 10 days or whatever. So I think that Giro is uh, alive and well. It's definitely not all over within the first nine days because that would really freaking suck. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if anything coming out of this time trial, it's uh, it's pretty positive. The resurgence of the Ineos Grandiers boys of Theo, Theo Gegenhardt and Geraint Thomas, that came as a bit of a surprise to both Patrick and I uh, when we were doing the stream. And yeah, who saw that coming? Geraint Thomas almost taking a stage win. He also said in the interview afterwards, he was really annoyed that he has had so many second places in time trials at the Giro. And this is another one to add to that. You just yeah. have to pedal harder on stage 20 i don't know yeah. just i don't just ride faster gee that's just the way it is yeah it is a bit of a shame because i've been his first grand total stage win in five years since the 2018 garrett thomas like tour de france win which i know is kind of like some people like oh that wasn't a hard tour de france or whatever but you know he won it oh, nonetheless um, well yeah exactly that's what i'm saying is it like, tour de france is a tour de france and yeah, so it was almost a little bit heartbreaking that he didn't get that victory because that would have ended like half a decade Grand Tour drought that he had. But I feel like it's still positive going out of it, though. I think Ineos have got a bit of a dilemma, though, because Teo and G are both looking pretty strong. So I don't know who they go with, but I think it's going to be really like a real tough competition, which I think will be a great spectacle for us as like commentators and fans of the sport. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Ineos have really impressed me over the past week with Gegenhardt and Thomas, because, I mean, if you watched our video when we ranked all the contenders in episode 13, unlucky for some, we were not very complimentary towards Garen Thomas and his chances towards Giro, but now I think he's looking pretty strong. He's looking like a legitimate contender. Is it is it him or is it Teo, given how good been looking in both time trials you got to think there's something in the mountains that's going to set him apart he was a bit removed in the grand sas d'italia stage not really fighting for it didn't really need to so i reckon i reckon we're waiting for the best of Teo gegenhardt to come in this race he's looking super super strong almeida's been looking pretty good as well to be fair his time trialing today we reverted back to sort of mid-time trial almeida that we were talking about before the race but overall i think he's been looking good his team looks super strong i think uae and ineos probably look like the two strongest squads coming into the sort of mountains next week yeah i think we're in for a good battle it's actually a lot closer than i was expecting but that was probably because remco lost so much time why well, i say it so much remco lost a fair share of time on that stage in the Fossombrane. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really touched on uh, Roglic, but we can do that a bit later. But how, I mean, Ineos Grandiers, they have the experience of winning the Giro d'Italia. Teo Gegenhardt's won it. Egan Bernal, they won it with recently a very different squad. No Filippo Ghana, though. 
So, I mean, other than Remco crashing and Roglic crashing potentially, is there any other way? They were quite good at working with Roglic to distance Remco. Okay, it was a small climb, but still, there were some gaps there. I think it's tricky because Teo and G seem like just very similar sorts of riders in a way where it's not like you have... Let's say you have like an Alaphilippe, like one of them's like an Alaphilippe kind of card where it's that they've got kind of they're a bit of a juxtaposition where one can do one thing and one can do another, whereas actually they're relatively similar. So one of them is going to really have to put their chance on the line for the other one to benefit from that. And I'm not sure if Ineos are that ballsy enough to actually try and execute that. I feel like they say they have been for ages, but they haven't really executed on it. And I don't know. I feel like they're just going to follow. They could literally wait until the final, like, stage 19 or something. (laughs) Just so, like, really late before the final TT and just literally just launch a killer attack then. Which, to be honest, it might not be a bad plan. You know, if you can make all the difference on that stage, then then why not? Just just thinking about what you said there, where Ineos, can they balance the two leaders? getting flashbacks to the 2019 Tour de France where we had the Bernal versus Thomas narrative where we weren't quite sure who they were going to go for in that race. It wasn't really clear until the final three days of racing who who they were working for. And I feel like we might have a similar situation here where they play it by ear. Both are on good form, evidently. Maybe Thomas has a bad day. Maybe Teo goes up in sort of an offensive move like Bernal did on stage 19 of the 2019 Tour de France and ends up becoming their de facto leader on a mountain day. So I think Ineos can do it. Their tactics over the past couple of years have been a little bit more fluid than they were before. The team looks super strong as well and I think some of the other contenders, we're going to see some big stuff from them. They rode a really good TT today with a lot of their riders who evidently are on good form. Sivakov, De Plus, Adansman. It's a shame they've lost Pippo. I think he would have been a great um, help to that squad. But without Pippo Ganner, I feel like they'll still be up there. Salvatore Puccio is in super good form, so he'll slot into that role pretty well. Yeah, I mean, if Ghana was there today, he probably would have won that time trial, maybe. Well, on form Ghana, you would think. But uh, yeah, we'll see if uh, Teo and Garen Thomas potentially can do something there. But I mean, Primoz Roglic, uh, we haven't really spoken about him too much. I mean, we know about the COVID kind of test that they lost a big portion of their team. They didn't have the world champion here. They they have two neo pros in the form of Thomas Glogan. Hesman, how does Roglic actually win this? We know that in your screen it is, they're very solid in the mountains and they have two cards to play, but Roglic, does he do the kind of just bit after bit, kind of how he won Terreno in a way, or just like stage after stage winning a handful of seconds each mountaintop and then at, by the end he's going to have a whole huge lead before that final time trial or is there a different way here? Or are we going to see, as Ewan has been saying, stage 20 replicated again from the 2020 Tour de France? Well, this is how he wins races. He roglifies them, if you will. He goes and gets these like little bonus second sprints, little sort of little chipping away. It's how he won the Buelta back in 2020, the COVID Buelta, where he just kept chipping away at Catapath and won that race because of bonus seconds. He's won Torreno like that on two occasions this year and also in 2019. It's what he does so well. I'm really liking the way Roglic is riding this this Giro d'Italia. I think it's it's cunning because his team weren't up there on the Grand Sassa d'Italia stage. They knew they didn't really have to waste their energy doing it whilst the other teams did because the day later at Fossabrone, he looked so good on that Cappuccini climb, distancing everybody else. He was bold enough to go and I don't think we saw full flight Roglic. I don't think we saw him make that big sort of move. Uh, I think he's keeping his powder dry. Even in today's TT, we thought, well, 
going into panic stations, but he limited his losses to keep himself not far away from Remco at all in, in the GC. To a point now where if he just keeps chipping away at Remco over the next couple of weeks, it's possible that he could be breathing down his neck coming into that final Dolomite TT at Montelassadi, where you would hope Roglic can overcome his mountain TT woes of a couple of years back and uh, and really go for the win on that stage. So yeah. close to the Slovenian border, it, it would be a fairy tale. That was just a traumatic day. Wasn't it just Roglic losing that to Pogaccio? I remember I was watching, I was like, there's just no way this is happening. This is just a dream. I'm going to wake up and I'll just be like, oh, it's stage 20 of a tour. Oh, it's fine. But no, it was all too real. But I think you're right. It could literally just be, it's all a bit of a stalemate until the final TT. And they're just like, everybody's just going to show their hands there and it's going to be the best man who wins. I feel like Quickstep will just honestly try and play this as defensive as possible and just surround Remco in Cotton Ball because he's looked a little bit kind of just a little bit, a little bit unstable on, on like just his, his grounding. I don't know. <laughs> he literally just like his crashes, how those are going to affect him. Can uh, he recover okay. the next few days? Yeah. Okay, we didn't touch on that. Yeah, uh, Remco crashed twice on the same stage. He relinquished the Malia Rosa to Andreas Legnason. I mean, the dog one wasn't really his fault. The second one, I'm not quite sure because you and I, we were too busy talking about the Mark Cavendish horror crash. The second one was his fault. But he was quick to place blame on Alex Kirsch, I believe it yep. was, for oh. from Chagzica Fredo. Yep. He apologized afterwards, but Remco just sort of, he looks back, doesn't realize that the Trek guys are coming around him, comes down. But I think the crash and sort of his comportment, his behavior over the past week is so different to Roglic. I think this is why Roglic is really sort of appealing to me as a GC contender. He's so chill, is primo. He's, uh, his mentality is sort of calm at the moment. I don't think I've ever seen Roglic sort of joking around and looking this calm at a Grand Tour. Usually there's so much pressure. There's all this bad luck talk about him in France or whatever. Last year at the Giro, last year at the Volta rather, he got a little bit desperate and sort of frantic towards the end. Even looking back to the 2019 Giro, all eyes were on him because he won every race pretty much that year in terms of stage racing. This year he's just chilled, relaxed, and he's taking it in his stride. Even he was joking with riders in the peloton that he had COVID the other day. Like, who does that? Remco uh-huh. is just um he looks a little bit heated. I know, I know like what we're seeing it from our perspective, and this is what he gives us to the media, but in terms of how he's sort of reacted to the crash and all this, even the crash on stage two, the one where the bar where the riders hit the barriers, Remco in this post-race interview, we know who to blame for this crash. You didn't need to say that. It's just a, like antagonistic, and it's like he's sort of getting angry and getting on. And even with the crash of the day, he was on the floor looking angry the whole time. And then he got back in his bike after the, that crash at 3K to go and was arguing with David Echimala. Well, not arguing. He was like explaining what was happening to David Echimalai, to the team cards, everybody around him. Then the other day in the media, he was saying that Roglic was nervous. Like it's sort of like Remco's kind of maybe he's refreshingly honest. But just in terms of their behavior, it's so different between the two. Maybe that'll be their downfall. Yeah. He does seem to be lashing out, doesn't he? Yeah, but um, don't you think there's more pressure on Remco than Roglic, yeah. actually? Because Remco, world champion, Belgian, poster boy for Sudal Quickstep. He yeah. ha- he's the one with a big contract, World to Espana champion. Everyone's talking about him being the next Giro winner for Belgium. And uh, Roglic, no one's really talked about it. And like th- this route was like tailor made for Remco. Yeah, exactly. The Giro wanted a big, they wanted a big international star to sort of build this Giro Italia because the past couple of years they haven't quite had that. 
uh, with, with other riders. So it, it definitely makes sense that everyone's talking about Remco, but is that to his own detriment? Are we going to see a sort of the unraveling of Remco Avenepoel? Remember back in the 2021 Giro, all we could talk about for that first week of racing was Remco Avenepoel. Yeah, a, a little bit of Egan Bernal, but Egan Bernal was like the Rocklich in that situation where he came in with more uncertainty. We didn't know where he was. Yes, so, so did Remco, but we, we referred to him as his first name. Like, like that, I think, shows just how much of a phenomenon he is. Will, will that sort of cloud where we're going, the overall narrative of this Giro? I think that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, looking at Jumbo Visma, their team as well, we've talked about the Elong many times. We've already mentioned it here. It's not the all-conquering Tour de France squad, the all-conquering Welta España squads we've seen in the past. Okay, granted, Sepp Kuss is here, but he's been down a few times as well. And uh, there's no Wilco Kelderman. Like, he would have been a perfect for this team, but obviously he's not here. Jan Tratnik not here either. So do they really have it to even defend the jersey if they get it? They're going to take it as late as possible then, pretty much. Because I think you're right. I don't think they have the team to really defend this. You know, the defense is really good. You know, you've got to have a team to help manage the breakaway at the start, especially. And, you know, do they have the riders to do that with the two Neo pros of Hessman and Glogue? You know, some of these things are more to do with instinct in terms of the breakaway formation and what to do and how to react and how to stay calm in the hectic moments, something which perhaps Hessman and Glogue, you know, haven't been accustomed to as neo-pros and in their first grand tour. So I think that Roglic would ideally just lay in the wings and just wait until the stage 20 TT, nip everyone on the line, have a little cruise around on stage 21, keep it upright, land yourself on the podium or at the top of the podium. I feel like that's the best way for Roglic. I really think it's up to Ineos to make this and Roglic will kind of follow, emulate what they do, and maybe he will like counter over the top of what Ineos do to try and kind of extend the damage. His team are quite good, you know, they're really good on the the Cappuccini climb. That was on a shorter climb. How are they going to do on the longer climbs are they going to be able to cope with those because i feel like that's a different kettle of fish i've been really impressed by kuhn bauman's writing he's been looking pretty good on like for instance we have that stage to bergamo next weekend it's a kicker in that one in a similar place to the cappuccini climb you could think bauman sent him to the front and um yumbo tried to sort of rip things apart think actually what yumbo visma might have to their advantage is that people aren't looking at them because ineos have their huge train bora have been willing to take things up uae have been willing to take things up yumbo have not apart from the, the stage to Fossombrone the other day. Yes, Yumbo, Yumbo were there, but they didn't control the whole stage. I feel like maybe Yumbo will be the team that just sort of appears all of a sudden, a bit like Bora Hansgrohe last year. Bora didn't control much of the race last year until we got to that stage in Turin when, boom, everything changed. We weren't talking about Bora for the first two weeks as a sort of GC team. They had a strong lineup, but they weren't controlling the race. They weren't sort of mustering up big GC or big sort of mountain train efforts. Whereas Yumbo will probably do that same job this year. I think it could be quite interesting because we're so used to seeing this sort of megalogon of Jumbo-Visma everywhere they go, where now it's up to the other teams to, to fulfill that role. Can't just talk about the GC teams. There was other things happening as well. We'll get on to Mass Pilsen and that win, but Ben Healy was quite a popular winner. Both of you big fans of him. Paddy Dunn as well. It was quite funny on stream, the amount of Ben Healy mentions, but Ben Healy is such a good ride by him. First year of Italia, winning that stage. But the reason why we're talking about him, not because like some other outlets said he's going to win, get on the podium. 
uh, in the Giro Italia, which is a bit laughable. But that aside, 22 years old and his contract is up. And this is why we're going to talk about it, because Patrick wanted to talk about it. I was just thinking about, like you say, his contract's up and he's just been looking stupendous so far this year you know he is if you were to stop the season now and say give me the top five riders of the season Ben Healy would probably be up there for me I think that he's been incredibly consistent fantastic performances with his contract running out I wanted to kind of discuss where would be best for him to go would it be to stay at EF or is there another team out there which might be better for him Astana Stana, oh god. Because his so here's my thinking is that I think EF works nicely for him because they're very freeing with their breakaways. They're quite happy to let riders go and break away because they don't really have like a like they do have Carapaz as their GC contender, but he's not here, so therefore but they do still send riders into breakaways even when they've got a big GC focus. So Healy's good there, and they also don't really have an Ardens leader. So therefore Healy is sort of gonna be their Ardens leader next year if he stays there. But is there a team which he could go to where he would perform better because he would have more team support? Or is there a team which could really use a rider of his quality? It's like I don't know. Will Yumbo just try and mop him up, basically? You would think maybe a, a team would want to sweep him up, but I just think EF fits for him, if you get what I mean. It's an Anglo team. He fits with the vibe. We spoke about it the other week. He's a sort of, he's a young guy. I think he shoots things on film, camera. He sort of wears vintage clothing. He's very EF. I think with the staff there and sort of their style, I think it really fits with Ben Healy. I mean, I've listened to like interviews he's done and interviews with like staff members at EF and they all seem pretty on board with Healy. And I think with the warmth he's been getting and opportunities he's been getting with the team at this young age, why would you leave that setup to go elsewhere? Mm-hmm. It's not like he's suddenly risen like out of nowhere. Like he's he's been given opportunities, he's been given the chance to like go for it and chase his own ambitions, and it's worked. If he were to go to like a Yumbo Visma, will he have the same opportunities? I don't know. But then we we always have the perspective of we are fans. We are watched we we watch this hoping Ben Healy can win every race on planet Earth. Well, like where he no 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 no, no but like we, we want to see the best racing possible. We want to see him like really fulfill his his potential. Like we want to see him become the best version of Ben Healy possible. That's probably more likely EF than a UAE than a Yumbo. But in terms of budgetary sort of requirements and the money, we don't quite know what they're offering or maybe they're saying more grand tour appearances. But I think EF have already given him a grand tour appearance. He's got a stage win. He's justified himself strongly enough here. It's not like he's being snubbed, I think, for opportunities like other riders out there. Yeah. yeah, I don't see him going to any French team. I don't see him going to any non-English speaking team. So that limits it already. Trexica Fredo potentially. Quickstep, I don't see. I mean, they've they had Dan yeah. Martin in the past, but it's a Renko project now. So like Ineos won't work because Healy just works as an Ardennes rider really well, which he's shown that this year. And they've already got Pitcock as their main name. They wouldn't bring in another guy to almost undermine their star guy in the Ardennes even though Pidcock hasn't been you know perhaps firing on all cylinders this year he is still in Yoss's big investment in the Ardennes and bringing in somebody else to undermine that doesn't make sense I was thinking Yumbo in all honesty because think back to the Ardennes for Yumbo this year 
they sent I know Roglic is going to the Giro this year which is a little bit different so you, Roglic is usually their leader for the Ardennes but they sent Tijman out and Attila Volta as their leaders this year Healy's did better than them in, in everything apart from La Flèche alone granted but you know it wouldn't surprise me if Jumbo tried to get him because you know with Roglic going towards the twilight of his career I guess you could say are they maybe looking for somebody to do the Ardennes they've already got Wout and Christophe Laporte such a strong cobbled team actually their Ardennes isn't that great to be honest with you Ely might be a really good option especially since they've got Archie Ryan in their development team if they brought him up that'd be a cool little Irish duo to have and you know he'll work as a domestique as well and Jumbo do sometimes send their riders in breakaways, but not as much as he have to. Yeah, I actually I see Jumbo as the most sort of legitimate pathway, but oh, outside of EF. But with Healy's pathway, he has been fiercely independent, or at least tried to sort of uh, write his own story. I think, well, I believe he was rejected from the U. Well, the Great British mountain biking team had to sort of find a new pathway into the sport. Picked up his Irish racing license through his grandparents. Started racing for Ireland. Had opportunities there with road racing and so forth. And then sort of had had, had his chances there. Signed for the Trinity Squad, which is quite a sort of international, uh, innovative project. Tom Glogue, for instance, came from there. Who writes a, a number of sort of promising, upcoming. Uh, Anglophone talent is currently on the Trinity squads and they seem quite interconnected with a bunch of sort of high profile teams. And for him, I, I think he'll continue being sort of independent. That means probably not going to Ineos, probably not going to like a UAE and so forth. I think he'll stay at somewhere like EF, maybe Yumbo as well. I think both of those could be quite neat fits for him. Uh, I mean, we haven't mentioned DSM, but yeah. I'm going with Koi, aren't they? There's been a rumor about me. Oh, shoot. Yeah, we haven't talked about that either. Koi. Um, apparently going to DSM that seems like I don't even know if this is just fully just rumours or whether there's actually any waiting behind it I mean it would make sense he's not really going to get the opportunities in a Grand Tour for Jumbo Visma if they're kind of going for onslaught here at the Giro at the Tour and at the Welter so but DSM though man I mean, they did have a lead you know, out. It seemed like they had a pretty good lead out in the Giro, but they were working for Meinhofer. If they had a Koi in there, that maybe they could have been in stage contention, potentially. It'll be like the youngest lead out train ever. It'll just be like a load of 18, like 20 to 18 year olds leading out. <laughs> It'll have Koi. It'll be the most hectic thing there's ever been. <laughs> I think that Koi needs to go to another team. Absolutely. I know this is like a complete different tangent now, but Koi does need to go to a different team. Absolutely. He's one of the fastest sprinters in the world. He could certainly develop into one of the fastest. It's just which team would suit him best. I just don't really know. I could see DSM, how that does kind of work. Because is, is DSM, is, is it a Dutch team? I know someone oh, was German. German now. Well, are they Dutch? I'm not, the team kind uh, of changes. The historically Dutch. I don't know if their racing license is Dutch at the moment, but like their staff members are Dutch. Teams owned by Dutch people. Yeah. DSM is a Dutch company. Yeah, Dutch, Dutch. They're uh, registered Dutch now. So, so yeah. it's got to be a team which has decent sprinting enough pedigree, but they need somebody better who's going to like Ooh. execute. Well, the other. Uh, the other part of the rumour was DSM and a French team. French team was not disclosed which French team it was, but um, that one was left open. You would assume a World Tour squad, which would leave Arkea, Azure Desert, Citroën, and Groupama on the table. One of those teams is in need of a younger sprinter. Groupama 
It's true, because they do have Damar, but like Damar this year has done barely anything. He's he just about top five for, for freaking Luator sprints. Like, this is a guy who... <laughs> this is a guy who has, like, dominated Giro d'Italia's in the past. And he's won Tour de France stage. Is that plural? I know he's definitely won one. He's won two. Okay, cool. I've got it right. But, you know, this is a guy who... And he's got this whole thing with Davi Godu, whether that's just... I don't know what that is, but that's just a thing as well. And it's like, is he falling out of love with Rupama a little bit? They do have a lead out train. He would slot in quite well there with Koi. But would that mean that Group Armor's going to ship off Damar? But do they have a lead out train? Guanieri is now gone. Sinkeldam's now gone. True. They were the two sort of staples for Damar yeah. when he was gobbling up Giro stages over the past couple of GD. But nowadays, that's what Scotson. They, they have a really talented young French sprinter in Paul Penouet. Oh, um, yes. Who's S tier. S tier French talent, literally. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But for Olaf Koy, yeah, uh, I mean, for him, it's the inverse of Ben Healy. He's not being given opportunities, and it feels like he can definitely progress elsewhere. Where Ben Healy's been given opportunities, he's he's done well. Why would he leave? Olaf Koy has not been given a Grand Tour start over the past three years. When we've been hyping him up as a great sprint, great young prodigy sprinter, David Decker, who's a very similar age got those opportunities and he didn't and David Decker still left so I think it, it's a natural choice for Koi to leave he was with the team through the dev squad they gobbled him up on a nice contract given that he went through their youth system it made sense for a while but I think now it's time to, to part ways with the Ember project I think Groupama yeah. could be a nice fit but I know lots of people have been saying Azure Desire but Azure Desire and sprinting oh. doesn't really work Wait, when was the last time they were sprinting a sprinter is Vontorini and oh, Mark Samuel Dumoulin <laughs> Literally, it was. Yeah, Ajay's dessert. Don't. They're not a particularly sprinter a team. Idea. A team would be really smart to bring in Koi and Decker and Danny Van Poppel at the same time, because Van Poppel's also out of contract yeah. this year. Let's go to our Claire Samsung then with David Decker and Luca Mozzato, my boy. Hofstetter. They are hoovering, vacuuming up World Tour <laughs> points. But, I mean, uh, we're going to continue the theme. We'll get to you, Tour of Hungary, at some point, we hope. That aside, uh, there's also another big superstar that has been, well, a big French superstar that has been rumoured to be leaving his team. That is Julien Alaphilippe leaving Sudal Quickstep, potentially. And, I mean, Patrick Lefebvre has been a big critic of him of late. And uh, do you think, where should Julien Alaphilippe be going as well, if if we're honest? Well... Every single P like pro cycling manager career dictates that he will go to RKS Amsic. For some reason, whenever I seem to watch a PCM video, Alaphilippe's always with Arkea. So, you know, if that's anything to go by, he'll end up at Arkea, which honestly, it wouldn't even be a bad move. But it would surprise me if he went to a team which wasn't a French team, to be honest with you. Whichever one that happens to be, whether it be World Tour or Pro Conti team, or arguably Drew Palmer doesn't work. They've already got so much talent. Where does Alaphilippe fit into that? Or are they just like so French that they're like, we need him? He well, shouldn't be taking up Roman Gregoire's. That's what I'm saying. Points. Yeah. Like, come on, that's that's his place right now. Would he work in as a desert? Would he yeah, work that? Yeah, I was going to say that because a few just years ago. Because the washed. 
when Citroen became part of that sponsorship, that was obviously a lot more money. They signed Greg Van Avermaet. We're going to talk about him a bit later, but he's retiring. So that's a huge chunk of their wage budget that could potentially be freed up here. Yeah, I mean, he, he would fit in. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, they're kind of in need of a classic star. They have the Norman superhero, Bernard Cosnefoy, but he's so hot or cold. Linking him up with, with Alaphilippe, we saw how well that worked at the world championships over the past couple of years that could be quite a good double act in the hills um also with dorian Gordon, these other guys it could work pretty well you mentioned french teams that have a retiring rider i know lots of people are favorable towards total as the new home of julien Philippe. they are of course losing the sagan mafia the sagan troupe the sagan ensemble the Sagan Circus, etc., etc. Sagan's the only one who's explicitly said he's retiring at the end of the season, but that will free up a lot of contract space. Specialized already work with Sudal, specialized currently work with Total, at least until the end of the season. In terms of sponsorship deals, that'll be quite a neat one where he might not have to sign new contracts or whatever. It's a French team with a lot of pedigree. He'd still get into most of the French races. It works quite well, doesn't it? The stars kind of align though. I can imagine going back to the Sagan thing. I can imagine him, Bodnar, and Os just forming like the Legion of LA, but it's gravel racing, and they just go around just like smashing every gravel race there's just ever been in like America. But I do think that he work would work quite well at Total. I think arguably that does make the most sense. I know that it's kind of like the Pro Conti team, but maybe he's all right with that, where it's kind of a bit more select. He still gets into the World Championships. It's just a little bit kind of like less chaotic in terms of like high profile races, but he'll still go into like the big ones. It's just that he doesn't need to go and do little like stage races and stuff all the time. You know, he can just do his tunic races in the French Cup. Coupe de France. Yes, because does he really go to races like Tour of Poland and so forth nowadays? Not really. really. But that's just because he's not very good. And Tour of Poland is a high quality race. Shade thrown on Alaphilippe here. He hasn't, he hasn't been good since 2021. Last year was a right off, year. to be fair. But he hasn't come back, which is what's making me scared. He won, he won. Oh, Desh, classic. Come on. Um, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a big race. It's a big race. More victories? No. I'm, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sidetrack this by gaslighting someone else. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Israel Premier Tech. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I just I couldn't <laughs> do it. Um, nevertheless, um, yeah, I mean, Alphilippe, I think he would really suit Total. But I've always I've had this theory for a while that Asgrain will go with him. They're really good friends. They both have a contract up. Lefebvre hasn't been nice about both of them. Asgrain's been underperforming over the past two years. I think they both fit into Total. But yeah, they could be a package deal. I guess just as a little. I want to get one free. Yeah, look, all these half price. Like going to Waterstones, getting a book. <laughs> they can make um, it like a happy meal and, and they get yeah. Brian Alphilippe, Julian's brother, and he comes along with them and they, they can bolster up their like their rosters because they spend so much money on them. Yeah, burger dough free. <laughs> but I mean, what rider has gone there who was a big star and actually achieved anything? Edward Bosnagen disappeared. Nicky Turpshire. He disappeared. was disappearing. Yeah, but Sagan <laughs> disappeared as well. It's not like you go there to have... It's like a retirement home. You go there for your last paycheck almost. Yeah. Hello, you do Pia gravel Latour? races. 
Yeah, but he wasn't a big star when he went there. Let's be honest. Oh, he, he, he won a white jersey. At, at the oh, wow. A white jersey. Oh, wow. French time trial champion. Did you do you remember that white jersey classification? I do. Not, I you, remember it vividly. He was not even in the top, what was it, 15. It was such a poor white jersey <laughs> competition that year. Please. Please. Let's find out. I'll find out. Don't worry. That's, he won, he won a Vuelta stage as well in 2016. A hard-fought Vuelta stage. Don't come for Mr. Rock Tower, Pierre Latour. Yeah. <laughs> Can we have some respect on Valentin Fedon, please? He won Paris Camembert and he won a That's stage so of the day for the last year. Cote de la Fosse on stage one of the 2021 Tour de France. Who was there lighting things up? Rock Tower, Pierre Latour. And Alaphilippe, I feel like could join that squad quite well. Maybe it'll spice up his Palmares a little bit. But elsewhere, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. Even like in terms um, of the regionalism, because a lot of these French teams are quite regionalist. He doesn't fit into any of them because he's from like the middle of the country. So it's uh, it's, it's it's he's open. It's yeah, hunting yeah. season. A little side note is that if if they do the buy one get one free, as Green and Alaphilippe or whatever, right? That's quite a lot of wage, which is probably taken off of quick steps books right which are they just going to fill that with we'll pay remco more money to keep him around or are they going to try bring in somebody else because that'll be a lot of money to put into a, like a high profile ride would they i don't know it's hard to say because they've already got so many they've got malia and jacobson so they get a, a grand tour each and then you got remco will probably go to the tour for the rest of his life and you know do they bring in just better lead out men that's where they spend the money there's more lead out men we need more more familiar, more for Jakobsen. But then there's there's the quick step effect where riders don't stay there very long in terms of sprinters. I reckon Murillo's got one more season there and he hops off elsewhere. Also, we need to get Olaf Coy now in preparation and well, have three world class sprinters. This is the I... true 200 IQ play from quick step. Just bring them all in and you can't lose. It'll be like that. Um... That time in Roubaix when like the three Mape riders, that was quick step. The three Mape riders came into the velodrome like arm in arm. They can just do that, but like it's Merlier, Jakobsen, Koi, all like winning every Tour de France stage with all of them at the front. I reckon quick step's long term plan is to get Philipson. They're just they're, like they're on the slow burn Riz at the moment, trying to like get him in. I reckon they want Philipson. The he... Yeah, but literally, Patrick Lefebvre is deploying the Riz. On, on Jasper Philipson. And uh and you know, he's buy he's buying him his frites and curry ketchup to try and sway him over. Based. And because <laughs> literally he's like he's the Belgian sprinter. He is the Belgian sprinter. I know there's white one art, but like they'll be like uh, Lefebvre wants every good Belgian talent and he's like We're getting Philipson and we'll get white one art one day. That's his that's his main plan. Like the fireworks that would happen between Wout and Patrick Lefebvre would be disgusting. <laughs> There would be awful comments and headlines written about both of them. It's good entertainment, though. It would be great. <laughs> Before we get on to the big carrot that we all want to get to, the Tour of Hungary, uh, the UCI also started, well, commenting on helicopter tours by certain teams. Another thing that they're going to stick their fat nose into, apparently, not about rider safety on sprint stages, but... Uh, yeah, what do you guys think of this? I think that the UCI need to get concerned with other things, to be honest with you. I feel like it's just, I don't know, it's, 
they, they just need to like get their head switched on a little bit because I actually just don't think they watch any of their own bike races. I think they just sit next to Lake Geneva and just kind of like drink espresso all day. And then they're just like, how can we approve sketchy finishes as much as possible? But then all of a sudden, some person starts taking a helicopter and they start to throw a hissy. And they're like, that's not allowed. That's cheating. That's a performance advantage because they're getting better recovery time, despite the fact that it was the Giro organizers who were all right with it. So the UCI are just kind of like throwing their weight around. I don't really get the problem with it because everybody had access to it. You just had to like pay for the cost of it, which I understand some teams might not be able to, but the option is still there for everyone to use it. So I don't really get the UCI's beef with this. It just feels like out of nowhere, they're just like, we care about no rider safety or anything. And then just out of the blue, they're just like, whoa, 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 hang on. You can't be taking helicopters. That's bloody out of line. And it's like, what, what about freaking all these people almost got killed in a crash? What about them? They're like, well, that doesn't matter. This was such a silly story. Like, I, I, I think what made it was like, the the evidence like the hard evidence they got was like a selfie taken inside the helicopter with the Sudal Quickstep team like it's just funny that like that was like the picture it was like they're all smiling in his helicopter and you can see like I think it was like Fabian Leinhard it was one of the writers the Swiss writers from um Guru Palmer who was like posting about like posted a picture inside one of the, like this busy like cable car that was going down Grand Sassa d'Italia it's like how how the two halves live. But yeah, I mean, this really isn't that pressing of an issue. Sudal, he's always complaining about the fact that sponsorship money is tight, yada yada, can't sign riders for long contracts. Yeah, Sudal's the first team to hop in a helicopter. How does that fit into their spreadsheets? Debate. It doesn't. (laughs) It goes under catering, like Red Bull did with that. (laughs) There's going to be a new sponsor in week two of the Giro for them now. Well, Drone Hopper used to sponsor Androni, and they're now looking for a new team to go for. Maybe this is all part of Sudal's big project. But why? Okay, so I guess like inequalities of recovery time. Yeah, you could argue maybe. I mean, it's bad for the environment. Yes, full stop. To use a big helicopter to get off a mountain. But like, we're about to do a big old transfer between stage twenty to stage twenty-one. UCI, why don't you put restrictions on travel requirements for that stage as well? IDK. Yeah, I mean, that weird story aside, uh, where where do you want to go? Gregor van Avermaet or to the Tour of Hungary? I feel like let's just talk about van Avermaet, because I feel like if we go Hungary, then van Avermaet. Keep the Tour of Hungary back, sorry guys. But I mean, Greg van Avermaet, uh, retiring, we alluded to it before. Such a, well, such an incredible rider. Winner of the Treno Adriatico, winner of stages in the Tour de France, winner of Paro Bay, uh, medalist here, there and everywhere. And um, yeah, he took his first win in four years, but he is retiring at the end of the year. So, I mean, the swung song uh, season for uh, Greg Van Avermaet, it seems. It is a bit sad because I said to you guys earlier, like, since I, when I started watching cycling properly, which was in like 11, 2012 or something like that, Greg Van Avermaet was kind of the prime rider. He'd always watch like Cobble Classics and stuff or Breakaways. And, you know, Greg Van Avermaet was always such a prolific rider. So he's like the first of my kind of, I don't know, growing up pro cyclist who's retiring. He was like really prolific. And I'm like, oh man, Golden Greg. 
the golden Greg, the gold medalist from Rio de Janeiro freaking Olympic Games is retiring. I'm like, oh no, it, it is a little bit sad, but at the same time, the time has kind of come. He probably won't retire. He'll probably just go do gravel racing. That's what that's what all the cool kids do now nowadays. Like him and Valverde and Sagan and his and his like little coop will go and dominate gravel racings till kingdom come. So I don't reckon he'll like retire, but like he'll be like retire. He'll still be around. Well, just like looking at Van Avermaet's career, it is a shame that he's retiring, but. At the same time, he's getting to that point. He was one of these guys that I think never quite recovered from the big sort of shift, the post-COVID shift that I think has really characterized modern cycling, where after the 2020 season, everything changed. And Van Avermaet seems like he just never quite caught on. He moved teams. It was a big deal when he switched teams in 2021. He got a third place in the Ronde van Vlaanderen back in that year, 2021. But since then, lackluster to say the least. But... That 12 months with the 2016 Tour de France, he got that stage. Then he took the yellow jersey as well, went on to win the gold medal at the Olympic Games. Then 2017, he had that wonderful classic season where he was up there in every race. That was one of the most sort of commanding um, 12 months, I think, we really saw throughout the 2010s for a for a classics rider. It was really impressive to see. And Let's not forget, he also won Torino Adriatico back in 2016 when uh, the mountain stage was cancelled. So he does have a World Tour stage race victory to his name. So, I mean, it is it is a shame that, that we're saying goodbye, but um, I think he's got to have other things lined up for the future. But this does also allow a big hole in the uh, Azure Desert Citroën checkbook, which I'm sure will be filled by someone else very soon. It'll be intriguing to see who it is. Yeah, there we go. Tying back to the Julian Philippe segment there quite neatly. But anyway, we've all been waiting for it. The big crescendo, as Patrick said, the Tour of Hungary. And despite the last stage getting cancelled, a very, very good sprinting field, you have to say. Dylan Hoenewegen and Fabi Jakobsen taking stage wins. But who is back in our cycling consciousness? It's Mark Hershey. He's back. 2020 Hershey is returning in 2023. Oh, God, it was so, I don't know. It was just cool to see. I was like, oh, until it was putting the hammer down a bit. And then Hershey stepped off him. And I was like, oh, this is just, this is giving me flashbacks, like, to 2020. I was like, this is so excellent. I think the only thing that was missing was that Hershey needed to be on a Chevello and then the Sunweb kit, and I it would have taken me right back. But it was it was, it was cool to see. I know he's not like like don't get me wrong. I'm, I am joking a little bit. He is like a little bit back, but he's not back back. But it's positive to see considering that we went through like a year of Hershey just being a bit MIA, which was a bit sad. But he is like not completely invisible now in UAE. The problem is, is that they do also have Pagacha who tends to sort of run riot in terrain, which also suits Hershey, which is a little bit of a um, an overlap, which is a shame for Hershey. But it was cool to see that he got his win and his arms in the air. I think that it was cool. But it was also cool to see like other also youngsters like Ben Tullett. It was an English running riot. It was there was Ben Tullett, Max Poole and Oscar Onley. It was it was insane. British cycling is coming next couple of years. The gap is going to be fearing Max Poole from Scudforth. 
shiver me timbers. Yeah. But uh, to be fair, I was also really impressed by Yanis Voisin as well of Tudor Pro Cycling, who took the mountain stage, finished third overall. 24 years of age. Heard about him last year at the Alpazair Tour, which I had the pleasure of going to. Um, it's a race filled with youngsters, and he really shone in that race. And uh, now Tudor has really made a big step up this year. It's be super intriguing if Voisin uh, gets a sort of higher level contract next year, especially given that he won a mountain stage here. But it wasn't against the strongest opposition. Jakob Fulsang was there. But back from in injury, of... though, back from injury. It was a big story in Denmark that he's fought back from injury. But I thought you were going to say Egan Bernal, not Jakob Fulsang. Uh, both. Both as well. But it mean that there was other good performances. Thibaut Nace as well, proving that he is still the real deal. But... I mean, it's always this intriguing synergy that we've had between Jakobsen and Hunevake over the past couple of years, where sort of one wins and the other wins, and they've had this thing between them, and uh, it happens once again, which I think is always interesting to note. Sam Bennett was here, Caleb Ewan was here, Caleb Ewan once again not winning, um, a sort of decent level sprint. Also, Alvaro Hodge uh, finished in the top five on stage one. Uh, which is really great to see. Alvaro Hodge was in a really nasty crash at the beginning of 2020. Was it 2022, 2021? 2022, rather. Um, he didn't really race at all last year. Signed for UAE, but we didn't see a peep of him at all. And then um, this year he's come back and he's slowly making his way to the top tier of uh, sprinting again, which is really good to see for the Scottish Colombian sprinter. The race almost just like a recovery race for... Full sang Egan Bernal, Jakobsen, Dunlopoenenwegen. It's just a rehab. Yeah, exactly. It's just a rehab camp. Rehab for people race. who are crippled. What bone, what bone have you broken in the last year? Just the kind of... Hungry welcomes you. Yeah, literally. Uh, yeah, but I mean, we've talked enough about Egan Bernal. Yeah, go on, you. I was going to say Lake Balaton in Hungary is known for its sort of natural spas and thermal properties. <laughs> as there's a lot of spas and Budapest, the capital city of Hungary, um, which is probably good for healing and recovery. I don't, I, I don't know what, what what the sort of medical scene is like, whether the hospitals are good or not in Hungary, but they've got a lot of natural resources uh, to help out th- these guys. Maybe all I can but now needed to win another Tour de France was take a dip in Lake Balaton, and he'll be fine forevermore. I hope so, because he crashed again in oh, on yeah. stage one. So he needs to just sort it out. Go take a dip. You, like you, you know the, the the other week when we were saying is is it just bad luck or is he or is he clumsy in the peloton? I'm starting to believe um, the latter is true. He needs to go take like a drink of water from like the uh, fountain of of youth or something from like it was like like Indiana Jones, the Last Crusade, where he kind of drinks from that chalice and like is saved forever. It like heals all his his dad's wounds and stuff. That's a proper tangent, but that's what Bernal needs to have some Hungarian healing waters. That's what we've concluded from this. Thank you. Good night. There you go. Will he ever win a race again? Egan Bernal, do you think? Um, it'll be. Oh, you know, I'll find a race that he'll win. It'll be. It'll be an Italian. It'll be something like. It'll be like Glam Piemonte, but when it's gone uphill finish. Not the sprinter one, which they like seem to be going with, but when it goes back to the little like kind of more lumpy terrain, which um George Bennett won the other year after like the COVID stuff, that's where Bernal's winning, I'm telling you. That's what he's winning. And that'll be it. I mean I think he'll win a race at some point. I can't tell you which one. 
um, for legal reasons, um, if I tell you my my visions, then I'll get locked up. But I feel like for Bernal, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I really can't tell where he's going. I don't know whether he's going to become a Chris Froome figure where we're expecting him to come back and he just keeps missing it or crashing or whatever. Maybe he'll become a YouTuber or a TikTok star. He's young enough to be on TikTok. I mean, your visions, you're alluding to your Eurovision. Uh, before Eurovision, Ewan told me the win is either going to be Finland or Sweden. And it was Sweden winning and Finland second. So, I mean... I wasn't alluding to that. Okay, fine. But it's a lot better than your Tour de France. <laughs> but thank you for mentioning it. Um, yeah. But anyways, coming to our favorite part of the show and also everyone in terms of the pro peloton, probably... Uh, the Rider of the Week, the Echelon Cycling Podcast, the, the biggest accolade we have on a weekly perspective. And I mean, Ewan, we'll go with you first this time. Who's your Rider of the Week? Garrett Thomas. Rogue? I know. Whoa, um, you backing a Brit? That's quite unheard I know, of. I usually don't really partake in the circle jerk of British riders, but today today I'm partaking because, I mean, he's he's been really under the radar and my expectations were so low. So the, the fact that he he's here, he's actually in a really good position in GC. He hasn't lost any time. He was on the right side of the crash in stage two. Looked good in the, op- well, in the opening time trial. Looked really good today in the longer time trial at Cesena. And also in the Fossombrana stage, he was there working really well with Teo. i got to say, it's Gary Thomas. It's a surprise. But I can't tell where he's going to be in two weeks' time. Will he still be my rider of the week then when he wins the Giro? Or will he be in 15th place? I feel like, funnily enough, Somehow Ewan and I have swapped places this week because I'm going to be picking a French rider this week. Lol. And that is none of a van Aurelien Palepentler. <laughs> what? Aurelien Palepentler is my rider of a week. I don't know what is Ewan doing. This is my Les Miserables moment. <laughs> because Alonso from the La Patrie. <laughs> APP made me look like a genius because I said to everybody, you need to put him on your Velo Games team. And then he went and won a stage. And I was so buzzing. I was like, I have been I've been the Oracle. I have literally predicted the future. I love that he got the stage win. It's his first Grand Tour stage win. He came here looking for a top fifteen. He got the stage win instead. It's just a cool moment for like just AG2R for APP, who's kind of just been like, had a good season. Like, he looked good at Duvar and stuff this year and decent into some other races. And I'm like, you know what? Just so good to see APP finally getting the, the job done. I couldn't have been happier. He is one of the most criminally slept on riders in the professional Literally. Power He's never, never left a Grand Tour since COVID without a top 15. Well, he pulled out of last year's Tour de France because he got. We actually contracted COVID nineteen, but he is so consistent, yeah. he's so good, and like he's always there in New South Wales tour stage races in that top fifteen bracket. Azure yeah. Desert, rely on him. He was their big project as well a couple of years back, and they really wanted to push him. He's from the Alps, where Azure Desert's from. They really wanted to see him be this big star. They brought in his brother. He's racing with them as well. He's so so slept on. He won Louverture a couple of years back as well. Oh, bellissimo. <laughs> I feel like you and just hijacked your writer of the week. <laughs> I don't mind. I was so, I'm so high. <laughs> Sorry for any of our podcast listeners. I should just point out that we had a very 
unique image of someone claims to be Scottish wearing a Celtic shirt, <laughs> waving a French flag with a Union <laughs> flag in the background. Where else are you going to get that? It's it's a feast for the vexillologists out there. <laughs> if you don't know what vexillology is, Google it. Uh, okay, so my ride over the week, I'm, I was really tempted. Well, I'm not going to give it to Remco, but I was really tempted to give it to Andreas Lechnison, the rider from Tomsø, who we've seen the last six days in the Malia Rosa. But that seems pretty easy, and he lost it today when we're recording. So if he'd kept it, I would have given it to him, but he lost it on this day. He's still fifth overall, so not bad. But I'm going to give it rather being super nationalist. And it was the oh, biggest, yeah. well, two of the biggest one-day races in Denmark. Fuenrund, which is a very small one, but I'm not going to go for that one. I'm going to go for Skate Hanning, which is one of my favorite races. It's kind of a semi-gravel race around Hanning, which is where Diana Ries is from. But... Uh, the winner was Matthias Norsko, the tallest rider on the world tour. It's a 1.2 race as well, which seems a bit unfair that the Danish team turns up with the likes of uh, Michael Velgren, Matthias Norsko, Julius Johansson, and you're riding against club riders. But yeah, Matthias Norsko, the tallest rider on world tour. He also has a podcast himself. And uh, yeah, he's a very nice guy. And uh, his first win, I think, while riding under movie star. But of course, it doesn't count as movie star's victory. So, uh, yeah. So you picked Norskorn for turning up to a 1.2 race in Denmark and winning when he's a World yeah, Tour he, It's the biggest that, race in Denmark, like a one-day race. That's like if Beyonce went went to the, the local high school talent show and, and won. Like, <laughs> what are you expecting? Really? Not, the country seeming is so strong in the UK. This No, in, in Denmark, not UK. This isn't like turning up... Like, we have good country teams, so it's not just... Do you know what other race there is that's got some slight gravel sectors? Rutland Sickle Classic. <laughs> Bas Tiedemeyer's team was there as well. That's got to count for something. Oh, good. It'll be on YouTube then. <laughs> uh, to be fair, they were in Rutland as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh... <laughs> it means nothing. Just gonna keep bringing it. Literally rubble. sponsored by a YouTuber. <laughs> the Echelon Cycling Podcast team coming out shortly in 2025, probably. Literally it's just a meme at this point. <laughs> Involve sponsors. But anyways, on that very high note uh, of Danish cycling jokes, that's it for our 16th episode here on the cycling, the Echelon Cycling Podcast. We are available on all the different podcast platforms as well. Make sure to hit the like button. Comment down below what you thought or who you thought should have been the rider of the week. Do you think it should have been Primoz? Should it be a Remco or even Mess Pilsen, who we didn't even mention as well, uh, winning his first ever stage win in Ajiro d'Italia. But with that, thank you very much for watching. And of course, as always... We'll see you next time. What about Kane and Grove's first ever duo win? Ah, uh, uh, no one cares. <laughs> so it's all APP. <laughs> That's so true. My man. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally getting the win. <laughs>